every generation, there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. Welcome to Conversations with Dead People, a postmortem podcast on the works of Joss Whedon. I'm your host, Paul Smith, and I'm typically joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia as we make our way through the critically acclaimed series Buffy the Vampire Slayer and its spin-off series Angel. We are oh so close right now to Angel. We're almost there. Uh, talking with me this time is my dear, dear friend, the elusive Dale Guffey. Dale? I am not elusive. I've been in North Carolina all the time. You're so hard to find. North Carolina is a big state. <laughs> it's true. And 2020 has been a strange year. It very much has. It very much I has. I blame the Hellmouth. <laughs> yes. All of them. The multiple I, Hellmouths that are opening I, up around I think the world. It's, I think it's important to keep in mind I'm based in Cleveland County, North Carolina. Oh. And we know there's a Hellmouth in Cleveland. Yeah. Yep. Giles did not specify if it was the city or the county. True. Very I true. I think it explains a lot. Very true. All right. Well, then I'm just, I count myself lucky to have captured you on film right now. <laughs> I'm glad that we get to speak again. Um, so for my unfortunate listeners who might not know, Dale, the wonderful Dale Guffey, uh, is author of, among other things, as I just found out, we were just scouring my bookshelf here to see what books, other books I have that have her in it, but, uh, Primarily, and of importance to tonight's conversations, she's the author of Faith and Choice in the Works of Joss Whedon, which that book will serve us well for tonight's discussion, I think. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, and what else are you in? You said you're in um, Buffy in the Classroom. Buffy in the Classroom. And reading and Joss Whedon. also in reading Joss Whedon. Yes. Which my very embarrassing admission is... I apparently do not have reading Joss Whedon of all what? of the, of all the, the Jossian books on my shelves here. And I really thought I had the vast majority of them, but you do have the vast majority. I have a bunch. But, um, reading Joss Whedon is well worth the investment. I'm suddenly feeling like a, it really is. I'm suddenly feeling like a Pokemon player. Got to catch them all. <laughs> I feel, I feel incomplete. I don't have that book on my shelf. I'm sorry you feel incomplete. Let's see what we can do to make you feel better. <laughs> All right. So since this is, for some unholy reason, the first time I've managed to get you <laughs> on this damn podcast, you should have been here from the beginning, but you're here now. Uh, since this is your first time, um, why don't you let us know how you got into, how you discovered Buffy the Vampire Slayer? So the the strange story behind that is I discovered Buffy the Vampire Slayer in when season two was being broadcast um, because oddly enough, I was studying for the bar exam. Yuck. Yeah. I know <laughs> three years of school for a two day test. I, it is not to be recommended, but the girl I was studying with 
and we both did manage to pass a bar on our first try, was a huge Buffy fan. And she insisted that I at least give the show a try. And I'm ashamed to admit <laughs> that I was a heathen in those days. And I really resisted it because, as we know, Whedon chose a deliberately silly title yes. for the show. And um, I fell into that trap of dismissing it based on the name. But from the time I saw my first episode, which was Becoming Part Two, I can still remember seeing that. I was hooked. And for years, I thought that was just it, that I was just one of the only people who had seen the light. Because, you know, the, sh the show never had... It had respectable ratings, but it never had fantastic ratings. Right. And, you know, you know, and this is all pre-internet. So, or at least pre-second screen viewing experience right, right. and all that. It was very early internet, yeah. It was very early. I'm old as dirt. <laughs> and it, it just, you, you had to find the fans. You know, you had to find each other. And for a long time, I thought there weren't other people like me out there who, like, really dug into it mm -hmm. and researched it and pulled things apart and, and really noticed these references. When I discovered the world of academic pop culture, I was just, I, I am in my briar patch. That is where I belong. And I hadn't looked back since. It's lovely. Awesome. So I was just looking back. Um, I, I realized as I asked you that question that I have insider knowledge because I've just recently reread Faith and Choice in the Works of John Queen, <laughs> where you recounted that story that I just asked you to recount for yeah. our listeners. But um, I was looking back to see, because you and I met at one of the Slayage conferences. We met in Barnesville. Yes, at Slayage 2. Slayage 2. Um, and apparently we had already known each other online at that point. I think. Because I think. you you signed my book uh, and next to my name you wrote Haunt. So apparently yeah. apparently I was infamous even then. So That's one way of looking at it. <laughs> sure. I, I choose to look at you as a torchbearer. Okay. Lighting our path. As someone who is on fire. Exactly. That's, yeah. So many people wish it was true. Um, Nonsense. <laughs> right. Well, let me throw the spoiler warning in here in case this okay. is anybody besides you, in case this is anyone's first time. Um, Conversations with Dead People is not a typical rewatch and review podcast. We're going to be exploring the plots, characters, and themes of each episode in depth and within the context of the series as a whole. That means we're going to spoil basically everything. So I recommend if you haven't already watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the series all the way through at least once, press pause and go do that. We'll be here in perpetuity. Uh, you can't get rid of me. I will always be here lingering for your... Indeed. You will haunt. I will haunt. Exactly. As it were. Um, all right. So with that uh, business out of the way, uh, Dale, if you're ready, let's go to work. So where do you want to start? We're going to be looking at both Dirty Girls and Empty Places. Yes. Is there any particular place you'd like me to start? Wherever you are comfortable starting. Caleb, 
<laughs> okay. Caleb. Start with Caleb. Who, after all, we do see in the first few seconds right, of yeah. Dirty Girls. So, okay. All right. Makes sense to start there. From the first time I encountered this character, there's something just delicious about him. This is a, he's, he's not a big bad. He's like big bad adjacent. <laughs> right. But he takes such a delight in it. This is not someone who has gotten somehow read the Latin in front of the books and got sucked into it or anything like that. He really likes what he's doing. Yeah. And in that way, and maybe only in that way, I think he's a little bit like the mayor. Who yeah, also, only that way. <laughs> only in that way. Who, although they, they both, both the actors have a wonderful way of, um, of reading their lines yes. so that, you know, it's, it's like the, the, the mayor's wonderful line about miniature golf. <laughs> <laughs> although Caleb would never say that line. Yeah. <laughs> although the idea of playing miniature golf with, with Caleb and getting to the windmill shot. Okay. That's just kind of fun. Um, <laughs> But th these are characters who really, really enjoy what they're doing. Yeah. And I think that's really important about them. Um, one of the things that you know about me and that everybody else needs to know about me is the very first thing that I do usually is look at names. Mm -hmm. um, I, people who have read my work will tell you two things about me. One, I really like names. And two, I use too many semicolons. <laughs> <laughs> Nonsense. No such thing. Uh, there are people who disagree with you. <laughs> but uh, so as soon as I get a name from from Whedon, I, I get interested in why he picked it. Whedon has even said he has to know the name of a character before he can write it. Yeah. You know, he tends to get stuck otherwise. So and the and again, one of the fascinating things about Whedon to me especially with um, with his big trilogy of Buffy, Angel, and Firefly, is his atheism. Right. I mean, he's, he's made no bones about it. He's not just an atheist. He's angry about it, and he's hardcore. Now, you know that my argument there is you can't be that mad at God and not have, <laughs> not believe in something. Hello, Malcolm. Yeah, yeah, because he's so, for Whedon, it's personal, I think. Yeah. And so when you look at the history of the, of the name Caleb, it's interesting because it's a Hebrew, well, it's derived from the Hebrew and has multiple uh, interpretations, mm -hmm. but they all come back to being faithful or being devout. Right. Which, of course. He is not. Or is well, he? Is he? He just isn't faithful or devout to that collar he wears. Right, yeah. But he definitely is, I mean, he's a zealot. He's devout to something, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Whedon likes to play with those, likes to really fool around with expectations based on the name. Buffy being a great example. Right. You know, because Buffy just does sound very frivolous and 
um, dumb blonde. Sounds like the blonde cheerleader, yeah. Right, right. So, you know, Whedon's always enjoyed playing around with that. I, I do think it's important to keep in mind Caleb wears the traditional dog collar. Right. And makes it very clear that he is not, um, because who is it? Shannon is the girl who first encounters him. And she says something about thanking, thanking him for picking her up by saying something like, thanks father. Yeah. And he, and he goes, I, I never was anybody's daddy. Yeah. So he let me... wears, he wears the garb, but he doesn't right. mean it. Right. Um, I mean, he wears it at one, at one point he says, I think the first says something about you're still wearing, you know, why do you still wear it? And he's like, well, man can't turn his back on where you come from. Right. Um, Perfect. But I, I, I mean, I think there's more to it than that. I mean, he uses it as a, as a lure. I mean, exactly. it gets, it gets women to trust him, which is an I odd thing thinking, to say. I not... know. I, I keep thinking of those deep sea fish. Like the way, angler way, fish. way, 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 anglerfish, that's yeah. it, yeah. who, you know, have that little bioluminescent lure. Right. Because you, of course, think he would be perfectly safe. You, you think the, the preacher man's going to be safe, right. and he he plays with that trope all the way through. So okay. There, so, I, I, I want to ask about his language. Yes. The way he speaks. Because, because I can tell you're excited about it, but I had a hard time with it on this revisit. I did and I didn't. Um, Caleb was actually my introduction to Nathan Fillion. Oh, okay. Because well, I, it, must, it must have been mine too because I saw I watched this before Firefly ever happened. Yeah, because so. I watched this before Firefly, and I had some problems with Malcolm Reynolds because of that. But but actually, wait, hang on. I just totally lied. This came. Wait, when did Fire, Firefly? Firefly had just ended. Yeah, Firefly had just ended. This is 2003. So that's why, so at this moment in time, not only are we getting Nathan Fillion, who's just lost his job on Firefly on Buffy, but we're also getting Gina Torres over on Angel. Yes, as Jasmine. uh, As Jasmine. So, anyways. Yeah, we got a lot of, we have a lot of hat tricks going on here. Right, And there's actually this hilarious, well, I find it to be a hilarious story, because Firefly... I missed when it was on TV. Oh, okay. I missed the original broadcast because they kept moving it around and I could never find it. And it only lasted three months. Right. So, okay. But (laughs) Fillion, so the story goes from him, had put on a considerable amount of weight. (laughs) After Firefly? After Firefly, because, you know, he wasn't working. And... Apparently that had something to do with his line about black is very I, slimming about black being slimming. I mean, he does look good. He looks great in it. Well, yeah. And y- you know, for, for television, they tend to be super thin anyway, because right. camera angles really do add weight. Um, but I, I always loved that story. I really did. His speech pattern being from the South I don't, I don't know it. So here's my thing with it. Um, yeah. I, tell me, tell me your theory. Here. I, I did. I don't know if this is a theory. This is just my feelings on it. Um, I did watch Firefly when it was on. So this actually wasn't my introduction to Fillion 
uh, Firefly would have been. My wife had a hard time liking Fillion at first on Firefly because she knew him from Two Guys, a Girl, and a Pizza Place. Pizza Place? Yeah. Apparently he was a dick on that show. I've never seen a single episode of that, but she did not like him from that show. (laughs) So it took a little while to get her on board. But um, his speech pattern here uh, as Caleb is not that different from Mal... Malcolm Reynolds on Firefly. It's hot. However, for some reason on Firefly, it's it felt totally natural. Like that, I don't remember ever a moment where I thought they're trying a little too hard with this weird sort of Southern accent and archaic speech pattern. And um, I never felt that way. And I don't know if it's just that I identify that speech pattern now with Mal, and so when Caleb shows up talking the same way, it's there's a cognitive dissonance. But I had a hard time getting past his speech patterns. I, for me, because I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, I think on Firefly, it's that he's not the only one with that speech pattern. Yeah, true. You know, you you see more of it. You also have the occasional bits of bad Chinese thrown in. Yes, <laughs> and. I I think that had something to do with it. I get that Whedon is playing with the trope of the Southern preacher. Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of Robert Mitchum in this one in Night of the Hunter. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of that in Caleb. It, it was, it's weird to think this for, for any of our listeners who have watched Firefly, which should be all of you, damn it. Um, it might sound weird for me to say that uh, it took a little bit for me to sort of get into the, into the rhythm of seeing him play such an irredeemable mm-hmm. villain uh, because Mal was often, I mean, he certainly wasn't an irredeemable villain, but Mal had his issues. <laughs> Mal was unlikable. Yeah. Sometimes. Mal has a subscription. <laughs> Of issues, right? Yes, um, but yeah, I, I mean, Caleb is a is a whole different beast. He's, um, yeah. I, I've seen people complain mm. about <laughs> interesting use of the word beast. Beast, yeah. <laughs> I, I've seen people complain about uh, how the, like you said, he's not really the big bad, but mm-hmm. at the moment, since the first can't really do anything itself, he's playing the role of the big bad for the moment, right? Uh, right. But I've seen people complain that it's just a misogynist guy uh, instead of, you know, a, a demon or a goddess or whatever. See, but, but in a way, I think it's, to me, that makes it scarier. It, uh, it's it's like, okay, because we're, we're not even attempting to be spoiler free. So no, no. When, when he blinds Xander, right. there's something especially horrible about that because Although Caleb definitely has some some strength beyond that of just an ordinary mortal. Yes. He's just a guy. Right. Deep down, he's just a guy. It's a little bit like losing Buffy's mother to something to so mundane. Yeah. Right, yeah. And, I mean, that's where the evil is. It's, it, it's in, I mean, Buffy's always about metaphor. And always about symbolism. And one of the real issues with Caleb is he doesn't feel like a metaphor for anything. He's a horrible, evil person. Yes. The 
I I am not usually disturbed by language. I mean, I, I, (laughs) there is no form of profanity that can usually shock me. I actually reeled a little bit when in Dirty Girls, Mm -hmm. uh, Caleb is talking to the first and says something about, you know, all this work that I've done for you, you know, destroying the council and working with the, the bringers. The bringers. And sticking all those splits. Yeah. That, I, even just saying that right now, I kind of. And every mm. now and again, and this is the best example of it in any of Whedon's stuff, but it's not the only example of it. He does a few things that make me wonder where standards and practices was that day. Right, right. And I mean, in Firefly, it's some of the Chinese cursing. Yeah. Because, you know, that is kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Look at what we can get away with. But this is just so ugly. Yeah. And apparently standards and practices is more concerned with how long the hem of a dress is. And they completely overlooked this just horrific slur. It's more than anything else, with the, with the possible exception of actually gouging Xander's eye out, because that that moment is truly horrible. Yes, it is. Um, like the, his just delivery of that line—that is the most visceral, uh, ugly response I've gotten to the show in a very long time. And that's the thing that more than you know killing Shannon or whatever right. is the thing that convinced me that he is truly just terrible. Well, and and what I, I think Whedon didn't even, it, well, and Dirty Girls is directed by Drew Goddard. It's written by Drew Goddard. Written by Goddard. Directed okay. by Michael Gershman. Thank you. Thank you. They made a decision in there when um, the first and Caleb are play acting Mm-hmm. And she's taking on the form of these girls he's killed right. with that with that amazing line about the choir girl who even screamed on key. Yes. Remember that one? <laughs> yes. Ah. yes. Um, when he's when he kills the the or relives the killing of the blonde in white, who is just like this perfect victim mm-hmm. and flings her down on on the ground of the vineyard. I mean, they make it so clear because she actually is split. It's this it's pretty you graphic. Know, this this gut, yeah. This gut punch is what I was going to say, and then I realized. Um, I mean, what what he's done is slash her across the belly, right? To make it that much more clear that she's nothing but a dirty split, mm-hmm. and it, it is. They're getting really graphic in these last few episodes. I mean, again, there there's no symbolism in here. I mean, one of his earliest lines in this episode is, uh, you know, you were born dirty, born without a soul, born with that gaping maw wants to open up, suck out a man's marrow. Yeah. Which that's disgusting as well. But then uh-huh. he also follows that up with the line makes me puke to think too hard on it. And I'm like, is that was that an intentional hard on pun? That was snuck in there. I wondered. And I don't have an answer for that. I think it can definitely be read that way. Yeah. Because it's right there. Yeah. You know, the subtext is becoming text here. (laughs) Yes, very much. It really is. Um, I want to ask you about, I know you've read Preacher. Yes. Okay. So um, 
over the years, I've tried to get people into, I've tried to get people to transition from Buffy to Preacher saying, you know, I think you'll really like this. There's some similar stuff that goes on. And uh, most importantly, I always point to um, his name just went out of my head. Jesse Custer? No, no, no. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, the Vampire. Cassidy. Cassidy. Good Lord. Pronchus Cassidy. Um, I always point to him and I'm like, he's kind of, he's sort of the spike of that He's sort story. of the spike of that. He's, he's got some similarities um, to Spike. And I always forget that Caleb seems really inspired by Jesse Custer by, by, uh, so the comic preacher is, uh, created and written by Garth Ennis and drawn by Steve Dillon and, uh, preacher, the, the title character, Jesse Custer and preacher, he always wore the black button down shirt, the white collar and black jeans, black jeans. And so it just, it, it immediately made me think of Jesse Custer. And I got to tell you, I haven't reread all of Preacher in a really long time. There are issues of that comic that just literally disturb me. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's, way, I mean, it's way darker than Buffy. <laughs> it's way darker than Buffy. Garth Ennis is British, writing about the American West, and mm-hmm. does some really interesting things about lots, that. Lots of mythologizing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there are parts of Preacher that I'm really glad I read, but I never want to read again. <laughs> See, I revisit it every couple of years. I yes, love that story. Yes, but you're darker than I, I am. I am very dark. I am dark. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> evil I don't have reading Joss Whedon on my bookshelf. <laughs> Your sins are many, my friend. They really are. They really they are. They really, really are. So, anyways, I don't know... I. Preacher ran from 95 to 2000, so it, oh, it's, right. its full run is, had been completed at this point. And I know that Joss uh, reads comics. I don't uh-huh. i don't know for sure if he had ever read Preacher, but it seems logical to assume that he had. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm not saying he stole the he stole Jesse Custer. I'm just saying I feel and like no, there's no, a little no, bit no, of no. influence right there. But also keep in mind, Jesse Custer is not the big bad either. Right. But so, there but there is a thing. So. uh uh, Caleb even talks about his power being the word of truth, the word of God, while Jesse Custer's exactly. very real, very like actual literal power is the literal word of God. So mm-hmm. when, when so they're, they're definitely, it, it, it's like Firefly didn't rip off Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I think we can assume that Whedon has seen it. The, the, the influence is Come on. clear. Yeah. Come on. So with with Caleb, and now you have me go, thinking about Caleb and Custer, so thank mm. you very much for that. You're welcome. My sins <laughs> continue. <laughs> but one of the things that I really do want to talk about when it comes to, to Caleb is that the, uh, the, I don't know, hideout, lair, location, whatever. The Shadow Valley. Shadow Valley Vineyard. Right, yeah. Which... You know, again, as somebody who likes names, I love it, but also it's like they're not even trying to hide it's, it it's here. It's pretty on the nose. It's it pretty is pretty on the, on the nose. It's, it's you know, they, and it's right next to the Psalm 23 car repair place. Oh, was it? I missed that. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it should be. Good Lord. I mean, exactly. <laughs> 
I thought you'd appreciate that. But there, there are just, there, there's so many places where they're just playing with these religious fixtures mm-hmm. is probably the right word. And they aren't particularly subtle about it. That being said, I, you know, anytime you're talking about vampires, you can't escape Stoker's Dracula. Right, yeah. And you can't escape Renfield mm-hmm. just constantly saying the blood is the life, the blood is the life, the blood is the life. And, I mean, that really is the Western civilization interpretation of vampires is that it is this inverse of communion. Yeah. You know, it when Christians take communion, the blood is in fact the life. By this sacrifice, we are saved. And vampires, of course, pervert that. Right. Because your your flesh and blood becomes their food and you, on the other hand, are a husk. Right. Thank you for your service. <laughs> Um, and I think with Caleb, you, you really see that you get that, that lovely little speech where he's musing about the last supper and what if you ordered white, Yeah, what if you ordered the white, <laughs> did that come from his lymph? Um, oh, geez. which, which I, I did find, I did notice something in this rewatch that I had let slide by me before. In that little bit, he talks about, what if you wanted the white, you know, an oaky Chardonnay or maybe a white Zen? And I'm like, a white Zen isn't white It's not white. Thank it's you. A blush. Thank you. What's wrong with you? I thought that too. I'm not even Thank a wine you. person. And I was like, hang on, <laughs> hang on. White Zinfandel is not white wine. That's just not even right. I, I think there's also, when, when I went back and rewatched, I had kind of forgotten that these two scenes follow each other so closely that in the cold open, you have this horrific preacher burning his mark onto a girl mm-hmm. and then leaning in to whisper to her mm-hmm. and then gutting her and flinging her from the car. And we come back from the cold open to Xander's sexy dream about potentials and pillow fights. Man, and all I could think of is if you do that too much, Xander, you're going to go blind. Oh, nicely done. See, I I hate myself for having gone there, but I couldn't help nicely it. That's, done. that's where I went with that. But but isn't it interesting? Now, Xander, we can kind of give a pass to because it's a dream. It's it's a little disquieting, though, the dream. It is, is disquieting, but lie. it is a dream. Yeah. What Caleb is doing, of course, is, you know, hard and violent and real. Right. But But in each instance, you have women who aren't being viewed as as people. Yes. Although poor Xander is forced to wake up from that dream and crash into the hard, hard reality. Yes. Of of, what someone's is it, got a, a stomach flu toilet? and the toilet is backed up. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's quite a wake up call from that dream. And, you, were you know, having. everyday life is just, you know, mundane and gross and, and violent. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, nothing's an accident. The, the juxtaposition of those two scenes is done incredibly deliberately. Yeah. I, so despite the fact that 
I referenced your book, which is Faith and Choice in the Works of Joss Whedon. We have yet to even mention my my favorite thing about this episode. Which is? Which is the return of faith. Oh, okay. I was going to talk about Tom Link. <laughs> oh, no. Tom Link is great, too. But I he mean... He is a national treasure. But yeah, let's talk about the return. And you have to admit, from a theological standpoint, the return of faith. The return of faith, Please. yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's another character who was named very deliberately. Oh, indeed. So this is where we have the result of a crossover right. episode because Willow had gone to L.A. to get Faith. Mm -hmm. And so she basically left Buffy for an episode or two and goes to Angel and then, you know, is bringing, is bringing Faith back. And it is interesting. They, they get to the border of or the city limits of Sunnydale, this poor girl who has just been savaged by Caleb gets dumped on the road and who walks up to her will and faith and faith says, yep, guess I'm back in Sunnydale. Yes. I'm back in Sunnydale. So, you know, free will and, and faith. And it's always fun when those two interact. Right. Yeah. So yeah, we have faith coming back who is not exactly, I, I mean, we can make an argument and a pretty good one that this is the return of the prodigal. Right. If you want to, if you want to stay with the theology. Right. But you know, it is not necessarily a welcome return. No, it goes way better than I remembered it going. Yeah. Um, than I expected it to go. Um, so here's my confession and this won't make a lot of sense to listeners who are just playing along for the first time until we get to angel. But Faith has a much more thorough uh, character arc that plays out over the yeah. series of Angel in her repeat appearances. And because of that, because of the stuff that she's, she goes through over on that show, that's why she's a different character now when she pops back up on Buffy than she was the last time she was here when she did the whole body swap. Um, but because of her whole arc, she rivals Spike as... I mean, she, my Holy Trinity in the Whedon verse, Spike, okay. Faith, and Wesley. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I, I still argue Wesley probably has the most dramatic arc. Right. Well, I mean, her, her arc over the course of Angel is phenomenal. I absolutely love yeah. it. But it's actually her appearance in it's actually a two part in season one, but in one episode in particular, the end of sanctuary in season one of angel, the scene in the alley where she breaks down. Oh yeah. Begs. Angel, oh yeah. Uh, that I get chills just thinking about that scene. And even if I hadn't loved faith before then, which I did, uh, that scene would have done it. So it that, is she's... a perfect, and, and mm, I want to be careful about saying this for fear that people are going to be offended and immediately just disconnect and they're going to miss the rest of this wonderful conversation <laughs> we're going to have. Um, Angel's a better show. Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. It is. You can, it you, is. you can put that on me if you want, because I have not made any bones about the fact that I, I love Buffy the show, oh, yeah. but I'm really doing this to get to Angel. <laughs> But, but that's the whole thing, and I, I love Buffy, and it's where Whedon cut his teeth, mm -hmm. and you can tell that. 
in a few places. And he does some great stuff that he then takes on and carries in a more complete way to his other work. And Firefly, if it had gotten the, the seasons it should have gotten, might have been even even better i don't know yeah i mean but it, it had the we promise don't, we yeah. don't we don't have a large enough sampling on that one right but angel is and it's not that every episode is absolutely fantastic it, over right. five seasons you're going to have some duds yes just like in buffy you got some duds go fish okay let's just beer bad, bad. <laughs> <laughs> jinx but Angel seriously is, I don't know, I I think Buffy is a show for people who are figuring out who they are. Mm -hmm. Angel is a show for people who know who they want to be. Right. And are working toward it. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah. That was either really profound (laughs) or really stupid, and I'm not sure which. I I think the... What myself and and some of my friends, including Eric Sippel, who's been on the show and probably yeah. expressed this thought uh, on the show, um, we tend to describe it as Buffy is the show about growing up and Angel is the show about being a grown up. Yeah. Um, although these I mean, last two seasons of Buffy, I mean, it also deals with the notion of adulting. You're an adult now, so what does right. this mean? But uh, that's all Angel is about, pretty much. Well, and I, I, yeah. I think it is all that that Angel is about, and I don't know. Angel is – I'm not going to say Angel is for a more mature audience. It's right, not that. Right. But Angel is dealing with some more fallout, right. I think, than Buffy does. But I, I do. Buffy is a show I just love, even, even though – okay, okay, because I'd forgotten it happens in Dirty Girls – in Dirty Girls, that's the episode where Buffy gets fired from a job she never should have had. I agree, but I've, I've, <laughs> in my discussions of season seven, I've said that I was actually surprised and quite fond of the moments where Buffy got to be counselor, yeah. where we got to see Buffy as school counselor because a she was, I mean, it was played for comedic effect many times but she seemed better at it than i had any reason to expect that she would be and it was just fun to see her in that setting and not always it was fun the gloom and doom of saving the world but it was and and i agree she had no right she had no business being hired as a counselor but it also gave us principal wood yes who you know we get some really good stuff happening there and of course i think the last thing he says to her after he's fired her is the mission is what matters. Yeah, he's repeating what right. she said, which was a repeat of what his mother had said. Right. Yeah. And of course, you know, that's going to come back in in, uh, in empty places. It, it's... So you mentioned uh, Faith coming back mm-hmm. and that for you, that's one of the highlights. I, I, don't, I don't want to assume anything about how you... Um, <laughs> how you feel about this episode, Faith and Spike. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of scenes there that are just fun. So too many times to count over the course of this podcast. I've, I've cried over 
the lack of this spinoff or this follow-up story or this tie-in or whatever. There are so many, so many shows or miniseries that we could have got spun out of Buffy that we just never got. The real, the one that really hurts because it's one of the two that was practically promised to us yep. was the Faith and Spike spinoff. The Faith and Spike spinoff. With them on a motorcycle walking the earth like Kane from Kung Fu. <laughs> Basically. And it's and instead we get Spike and Andrew on a motorcycle. Right. Talking about the blooming the onion. Blooming onion. Yeah. Which is also great. That was also great. But And you know, did you did you like me stop and run that back so that you got the actual recipe? <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> I did not. But I remember you uh you soak the onion in ice water for twenty minutes or something so it holds its like shape. That. Yeah. And then you deep fry for five. Yeah. But there's a there's a great bit between Faith and Spike down in the basement. Um, oh, it's all a great bit. The whole thing. Well, that's true. Yeah. Where they're ta- they're talking about the the chains on the wall. Right. And um, he says, you know, I got dangerous for a little while. And she's talking about this guy who she apparently dated, who had this thing about her dressing up like a schoolgirl. And with Faith, you never know if it's true or not. But she she says something about every guy has some kind of whack fantasy. Yeah. And that applies to Caleb. Oh, yeah. As well. Oh, yeah. Which is a connection that I think is really easy to overlook because so many things in this episode um, are obvious Mm -hmm. and are like right out there. But... I, I really do kind of like that bit. That's what that's what drew him to the first was honestly this fantasy he has. Right. I th- I think it was you in your so the final chapter in your book uh focuses on Caleb. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it was you you talked about Caleb's quest for knowledge. Yeah. Was that you talking about that? Um, I know I do talk about it. I'm, which, I'm sure I'm not the only one. Um, I mean, I just don't know if I would have picked up on that. Like, I don't know if that's where my w- mind would have gone because um, it seemed his, his like his overt mission to me just seems to be, he loves having the opportunity to just kill girls. That's what mm-hmm. he wants. But uh, the way you explain it, well, I mean, Talk about that. Talk about what is what is the knowledge that Caleb is seeking and and finding from the first? I I think like a lot of people who, you know, do not necessarily become murderous maniacs, Caleb wants purpose and he wants certainty. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're if you're not really careful, faith, the concept, not faith, the person that becomes a dead end. Because at some point you have to believe in things that you can't prove. Right. And Caleb is very much a visceral, corporeal being. He's very physical. Right. And faith isn't going to do it for him. It, it's he he can't. He lacks the ability to believe. It has to be something he it it does it has to be something he can touch which is interesting because there's the scene when in dirty girls when the first appears to him as buffy for the first time and she's like 
or it is like, uh, you know, what do you see? And he's like, just another dirty girl or whatever. And she's like, look closer. And he starts to figure it out. And he realizes, oh, you're her, right? You're the you're the one. You're the slayer. And he gets very reverential. And he tries to reach out and lovingly. Or, well, that's where I was going. He tries to reach out and seemingly lovingly caress the cheek of this figure that he has horrible things that he wants to do to. So I don't remember because uh, I, I don't remember season seven very well. So I don't remember how much this is ever addressed or if it is ever addressed, but the, I get a little bit of the, you doth protest too much stuff from Caleb, where he's talking about how it's not about, like, he, he very much downplays the whole sexuality of everything oh, yeah. uh, and, and talks about girls yeah. being dirty because of their sexuality and all that. And I really, Maybe it's because I sort of have this obsession with serial killers and I, I've read so many books about mm-hmm. serial killers that I um, I know that sex and power go together. And I just th- there is a lascivious element to his fantasies or whatever. Oh, there he is. He'll, oh, ne- he'll is. never, ever admit that unless he does in the next two episodes. And I don't remember, but I don't think and- he would ever admit that. But. And it is, it, it, you know, like like so many people, I'm not going to just limit this, like so many people, this is about power. Mm-hmm. And this is about how you achieve power and how you hold on to power. Again, something you can touch, right. something you can literally hold on to. And, you know, fear is a good way to get power. Mm-hmm. It's a quick way. And, you know... Caleb really is, for for my money, one of the more disturbing villains on Buffy because he's real. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's also part of me that's just disturbed because it's my beloved Mal. I know. (laughs) But but yes, absolutely. The reality of him, yeah. So we discover, of course, that, you know, the lair is Shadow Valley. Right. And Buffy walks them into the Valley of the Shadow of Death there. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, just everything goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Everything goes wrong. And I've I've often wondered, and I know, I know on one level this is about plot. And this is just about setting the next thing up. Right. But... Is it just me or is Buffy just behaving not like herself? So I have such a complicated relationship with Buffy Summers. Um, mm-hmm. I, as I've said many times on this podcast, I'm always looking for any opportunity to, to, to read the worst into her behaviors and everything. And the whole general Buffy arc that she goes through is high on my list of things that I really wish we had never had to endure. Um, but oddly, in these two episodes, um, we'll, we'll talk more about this when we get into Empty Places, because that is a right. controversial episode. But in these two episodes, I I both am disgusted at Buffy's behavior because mm-hmm. she is very, uh, she has tunnel vision and she will not, yeah, you know, she will not listen to other people's input or whatever. Um, but then I also... I, I sympathize with her a little bit. Oh, I do too. I mean, that's big for me to say. I'm sure most Buffy fans sympathize with Buffy, but I'm like, damn it. 
I'm actually kind of sympathizing with Buffy here. But she does some things that, I, I mean, clearly she's super defensive when she first sees Faith. Uh-huh. She is already angry with Giles. She's already angry with Wood because of trying to Kill get Spike. rid of Spike. Yeah. And, yeah, I, 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 like, I like Spike, but I also really... Spike is not exactly trustworthy. <laughs> oh, when he had the trigger, you mean? Not even when he just when he had the trigger. I mean, even with the soul, Spike is certainly not above stirring the pot. He's not above mixing things up to kind of see what'll happen. Right. Historically, yes. I, I, I mean, I'm a diehard Spike apologist. Um, <laughs> but uh, I would say at this point, uh, the the most genuine, pure thing Buffy has done this entire season is believe in spike oh, yeah. i mean almost to a fault i mean with the whole he still has the trigger like i i hate the way that giles and wood went about it and buffy uh-huh. had every right to be upset that she was being misled and sidetracked and all that yeah but they did have a point they did discover yeah. that lo and behold the trigger is still there and he could have been triggered at any moment now oh, yeah. what they should have done is work to get rid of the trigger not just dust spike but regardless um, I think at this point in the show, he's, I mean, it's pretty safe for me to say, because there's only a handful of episodes and I know what happens, but um, right. um, I, I think he's past the point now of where he would just, you know, for shits and giggles, stir up the and, pot. And mind you, I have always, I mean, it, it's hard to not have a soft spot for Spike. Mm-hmm. It really is. Everything from the way he always treated Joyce mm-hmm. yeah. that I I love about him and how much of a big brother he is to Dawn, yeah. who is a character that most people, of course, you know, loathe. I love her. I like Dawn. I mean, Dawn is occasionally a really, really bratty ball of energy. Yes. But... Season seven is her season, though. She really... Yeah. She really grows up in yeah, season seven so it, it is so you know as as we go through the, this battle of course we see caleb has strength he shouldn't have yeah which i don't remember how that's explained but hopefully it is explained and so help me i think it's with like a line of dialogue okay <laughs> and right. it's not in this episode in this episode yeah. you're just like what yeah so he flings buffy across the vi- or not the vineyard, but the, the basement, where the, the casks are. The cellar, yeah. And then, you know, Spike gets in it, and Spike is like no match for him. Mm-hmm. I, quite frankly, am shocked we only get out with two dead sli- potentials. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a miracle that that's all they lost. Yeah. Now, mind you, part of that is because, and disagree with me if you dare, <laughs> but, you know, Caleb doesn't want the fast kill. No, no. You know, he wants to, he wants to hurt. Yeah. That's he, why, you know, he does that horrible break of Rona's arm. Mm-hmm. I mean, which, he, li- he likes to deliver ah. a scary line to them before he kills them. So he can't just walk around the room and punch his fist through all the potentials. Okay. So one thing that does truly bother me, and uh, I think this is actually 
in, I think this is actually in the next episode. You can go ahead. I think this is actually in Empty Places. But there is at least one time where they let him talk way too much. I think it happens. I mean, I'll allow allow it in this first one. Yeah. Like when he first shows up in the cellar and he's... He's bloviating and Buffy and Spike are just standing there watching him. I mean, this is what happens. Yeah, this is what happens on Buffy. And it is the first time they've met him and they have no reason to suspect he's super strong. I get it. But I I was like, man, you're just letting him go on, aren't you? I know. I know. I mean, you only have a few seconds where you can use the the ability of surprise, the element of surprise. And you are just pissing it away. Yeah, yeah. Is this guy's just like bad women, right? Um, And I've never understood that, and it does bug me. Do we need to talk about the blinding? Yes. Before we get out of this episode, we have to talk about Xander. Xander. Xander gets one of his best speeches in the entire run of Buffy in this episode. I would say only rivaled by his talk to Dawn in a few episodes ago yeah. about being the one that's not chosen. And is that also the great speech where he gets to have that wonderful line about seeing more than other people yeah, yeah. because says, no one's looking at you? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, you know, with Xander, we've had for a few episodes, this idea of sight mm-hmm. and of eyes and of seeing and being seen. And right before Caleb gouges out his his left left Mm -hmm. eye, yes, yeah, his left eye. Right before he gouges out his left eye, he even says something along the lines of, "You're the one who sees. Let's see what we can do about that." Which is interesting that they, because presumably he got that information from the first, Mm -hmm. that um, the first was somewhere to witness that speech that Xander gave. Right. Um, And of course, you know, the bringers don't have eyes. Right. And uh, Xander's given them that that um, not really speech, but the the idea of this is where you you attack. These are the vulnerable areas. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And has that great bit about. Well, what if it's something else? Don't go for the flashy tentacles that it waves to distract you. Yeah. Go for the, what is it, brain, heart, eyes. Yeah, the brain, heart, Everything has eyes. Yep. So, you know, they really are setting us up here, but I remember the first time I saw this episode, I was not expecting that. No, that was was pretty, that's a pretty powerful moment. And his scream is really, really, like, gut-churning. And look at the expression on Caleb's face. Oh, yeah. Because, honestly... He'd enjoy it more if Xander was a girl. Yeah. But he's still enjoying it just fine. He he loves he loves violence right here. He loves violence against women way up here. But Right. And it is this idea of um because you and I were just talking about it. Caleb wants to see the violence he's inflicting. Yeah. You know, this is not a guy who's going to use a gun. Right. Guns are way too far away. Which is odd. He wants to be up close and personal. It's odd that he's the one that blew up the Watchers Council, uh, because that was kind of a remove. But, I mean, I don't think he, I don't think he gives a damn about 
the watchers or whatever. Like he, he enjoyed inflicting pain on Xander because Xander was right there in front of him and he knew that the Slayer was watching it happen. Right. Um, I don't think he cared about the, the watchers. I don't think he cared about the watchers council. Yeah. That, you know, that's just something the first needed to, to be done and he's corporeal. She's not. Um, and then of course this ends with the, with, um, a line from the Lord's prayer about yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Right. Which he says to the first. Right. And then I'll kill them all. I told you it had a happy ending. (laughs) Well, it's not over yet, Caleb. No. Smug bastard. Um, I just want to point out one more thing, uh, because it's my beloved spike. I think it's important to note that, uh, Spike is the one that rushes yeah. in like a bull in a china shop to plow into Caleb and knock him away from Xander. Yes. And then uh, Spike's on one side of him, Buffy's on the other, drag. Yeah. essentially dragging him out. Right, yeah. You don't have that much strength, I imagine, after you get an eye gouged out. And- That's another thing. I mean, as we're transitioning to empty places where we get to see Xander post, oh. post-eye gouging, um, there's something in his in uh, Nicholas Brennan's performance that, I mean, you could read it as he's hopped up on medication um, or you could read it as I chose to read it, that he's, he's kind of in shock at the whole thing, but he just, the whole time, every scene that he has on camera, he seems like he's not entirely there. Like he's really been, I, I don't want to be that evil son of a bitch, but I have to, this was really an eye opening experience for him. I'm sorry. Did you just use that <laughs> phrase? Wow. The video component is the best part of this. Cause I had to watch your reaction to me saying that. <laughs> <coughs> Anyways. Okay. I'm just, okay. I, I, I love Nicholas Brennan's performance as the shell shocked Xander. I do too. Yeah. Um, and let's keep in mind, uh, Xander is the character who we've seen play soldier boy before. Right. Yeah. Um, in the Halloween episode, but also in a lot in a lot of weird ways, Xander's the one who grows up of of our Scoobies mm-hmm. the quickest. Yeah, I was I reading. Think. I can't remember where or the it most was directly. I can't remember which book it was. It was. It might have been in uh, in Nikki's Bite Me. Uh, <laughs> anyways, somewhere I read a list of. Uh, the Scoobies and how they've held down jobs post high school. And like Buffy's had one, I think, or maybe two. I don't remember what her count was. And like double meat palace. Yeah. And counselor. And uh, I think, I think Willow has had none. I don't think they've ever showed Willow having a job. Xander meanwhile has held down. I mean, this, this could be a knock against Xander, but he's had something like 10 jobs. (laughs) However, he's finally landed on one now as the construction worker, the carpenter, like he's, he seems to stick with that job and he's good at it. So, and Anyways. I can of course get into the whole carpenter, the carpenter. and Jesus thing, but no. we will, we will move on. Okay. Uh, one last thing. Cause it just occurred to me. Yeah. Xander gets an eye gouged out. Um, mm-hmm. So does Jesse Custer. In pre-show. Oh my God. So does Jesse Custer. You're right. <laughs> so don't know what that means. I'm just putting it out there. Right. Well, and here's here's the thing that I think is important in in myth. It is so incredibly common yeah. when you gain knowledge to lose. You lose something, a hand, an eye. Odin losing the eye. Yeah. 
um, your really old, scary gods hmm. are the ones who have like one arm or one leg or one eye. Right. Yeah. Because it goes way on back. Um, there has to be a sacrifice for knowledge. So what you're saying is Xander is the Odin of this show. I keep looking for ravens. <laughs> Man. <laughs> if only we could have gotten a Neil Gaiman penned episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh my God. I would have. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even be here today because I would have died. Okay. I, I do want to point out one of the other books that I did with Inslee is on Babylon 5. We do get yes. a Neil Gaiman Babylon 5 episode. Yes. Which Arlo and I have promised the two of you we're going to watch Babylon 5. Neither one of us has yet. <laughs> but Why do I talk to you? I don't know. I really don't know. I, I don't Why? deserve it. I don't deserve it. Why? Um, anyways. It is an amazing show. Even Honestly, even season one, which does have some flaws. Mm-hmm. It's not even a stick with it. It gets better. Even season one has some really good stuff. Okay. But that's not the show we're here to talk about. So. Right, right. So let's move on to Empty Places, uh, written by Drew, Drew Z. Greenberg, directed by the workhorse of Buffy, James A. Contner. <laughs> the workhorse. I feel like he's directed like half the episodes of Buffy. Sometimes it does feel that way, doesn't it? So two different Drews here. We have Goddard writing... Uh, Dirty Girls, Mm -hmm. and then Greenberg writes Empty Places. And I was so glad I had these two episodes to talk about. I really was, because I I think think they're too... I was shocked at how well they held up, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, these are two episodes where Buffy just behaves like an idiot. (laughs) Yes. I, I mean, like, you know, something eating her brain kind of idiot. <laughs> and I get it. She's been dead twice. It's bound <laughs> to take a toll on a person. And yet there are things in here that bug me. Empty places, though, we get Clem. Yes. God bless Clem. God bless Clem, who drives a red beetle. Of course. I mean, the only just, thing just better, like the cutest little car. The only thing better would have been like a VW bus. Oh yeah. But yeah, with like a bunch of kittens in the back, <laughs> or painted like the wizard painting oh, on the side of a van, except kittens. it's kitten wizards. Oh my god. Oh, that would be great. This is the show that I want. So yeah, <laughs> sweet, sweet little moment with Clem, who, uh, in my mind, in my fantasies, goes on to live a long and happy life somewhere with people who love and truly appreciate him. I hope so. Um, I don't remember. I know he doesn't pop up again in Buffy. Uh-uh. The comics probably have something to do with Clem. If they do, I'm not aware of it. But but he gets a better exit than a lot of oh yeah memorable characters get. Um, and and you know he's just saying that the Hellmouth is acting up, but this just feels different. Yeah, and it ends with him saying, like he's falling all over his words and saying, you know, I, I've I've gotten way back on eating kittens, cholesterol. I mean, morals, morals. morals. (laughs) (laughs) He's so adorable. I love him so much. Um, But his last line is like, maybe you should get out of town too. Maybe it's time for you to get out of town. And doesn't she say, yeah, maybe I should. Yeah. Something like that. Um, And we, you know, we know she's not going. Yeah. We know that that's her saying, yeah, I probably should, but I'm not going to. Right. And he knows that too. Yeah. So, See, if we had gotten the Faith and Spike spinoff, 
Clem would have joined it. Oh, absolutely. I'm just, Wouldn't that have been great? I do this all the time. I build these fantasy series in my mind. There's nothing wrong with that. And again, <laughs> we have such a rich text here. Yeah. And you do have, I mean, who was it? In season four? Mm-hmm. I really wanted more with Sunday. Oh yeah. Yeah. The the high school or the college I mean Sunday vamp. was a lot of fun. She was and fun. she was you fun. You know, we we don't get her for very much. But but anyway, anyway. So let's talk about the aftermath here with Xander. Yeah. I had forgotten until I did the rewatch just how flat all the jokes are falling Mm -hmm. i mean because everyone's trying to be cheery and upbeat and everything's normal and it just isn't you know these aren't a couple of cosmetic cuts right or or a bruise or even a broken arm or even a broken arm i mean this is not gonna heal yeah yeah this goes this even goes beyond cordelia falling on a rebar (laughs) Oh, yeah. Which was not good. Know, even that can be fixed. Right. But this just this just can't be fixed. And there there's some lovely bits with uh in the hospital room, Willow's holding his hand mm-hmm. and she is trying so hard and just loses it. She I mean, she almost does. The tears well up and her voice breaks and Xander's like, Please don't. I you can't, I can't. Yeah. Just don't. So I know, and, and we'll get to it, but I know the end of this episode is supposed to be the big, shocking, emotional gut punch. But for me, uh, it's actually that hospital scene between yeah. when when Buffy's there and clearly is uncomfortable mm-hmm. being in the room and doesn't know what to say to anybody and doesn't want to stick around and play card games or whatever. Right. I mean, that... <laughs> That whole thing has way more emotional weight for me than and it's end. it's funny because some of the some of the really, really big moments in Buffy are Willow and Xander. Mm-hmm. i will I will go, I will die on the hill of the yellow crown. <laughs> you and Arlo both. <laughs> I mean, are you lumping me in with Arlo? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You 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 have to own this one. He like if he could get the yellow crown speech tattooed on his forehead, he would. I would pay for that. <laughs> you would pay to have him tattooed on his forehead. Yeah, I, I would. I would pony up for that too. Yeah, I think we could start a Kickstarter. Okay. Yeah, do a quick GoFundMe. We could have that thing funded in no time. <laughs> but there, honestly, there's some really great moments between those two. Yeah scattered over the whole run of this of this series but this one um yeah and i i think it's because we've had seven seasons Mm -hmm. of seeing that relationship yeah and it it just it, it reads for me very real and very very true and i think that makes it heartbreaking I mean, it's also heartbreaking so then, in the context of the yellow crayon speech because, like, Willow has to live with her guilt of having gone through all that and knowing that Xander is the one that risked his life to pull her back from the edge. Mm-hmm. And now so, she wasn't even there when Xander got injured, and there's nothing she can do. She can't give him a speech, a yellow crayon speech, that'll make it all better. 
Right, right. Um, and I think we are also seeing the seeds for what's going to happen at the end of this. Mm-hmm. Will uh, Willow and Xander really needed Buffy. Right. And she couldn't be in the room. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that's going to have some repercussions down the road. But one of the brilliant things about Buffy is we often, the body being a notable exception, we often have this super dramatic or super serious scene followed by something that isn't kind of like the kind of like the cold open in dirty girls right where we have the horrible intro to how terrible caleb is followed by the pillow fight right and so here we go from that to anya yeah trying her best to lead an informational seminar with with Andrew attempting to like create visuals. Andrew's on whiteboard duty. Yeah. Andrew's on whiteboard duty and it's, it's not working. Oh no. Um, Yeah. That scene was, I mean, yes, that's the, um, that's the laughter. That's the laugh after the really tense moment that's supposed to sort of, you know, let you know it's still okay to watch the show. But even that scene was really sad because no one else in the room is appreciating the humor. Like all the potentials are like, there's nothing funny going on here. Yeah. There's nothing funny going on here. We're all going to die. Right. And we don't want to. So, you know, again, we're seeing that what has worked in the past isn't working. Mm -hmm. You know, there has been this seismic shift, if you will. Mm-hmm. to how things are operating because the girls and the potentials understand now this isn't a game. This isn't doing Tai Chi in the backyard. Right. Their two of their friends died. And how many of them are, are still in the hospital? Yeah, I don't even know. Or I had to go to the hospital yeah, at least. Yeah. You know, this wasn't first aid kind of injury. Right. Um, you know, this wasn't me cutting myself while I was trying to cut carrots <laughs> a week ago. Um, it was secretly a fight with a bringer, right? That's what sh- happened? You got in a fight with sh- a bringer? Okay. I'll edit that if out. I, if I tell you, I'll have to kill you. <laughs> gotcha. Well, I think so, I think you've demonstrated you have to kill me anyways. <laughs> so we, we got some real problems going on here. And... So Buffy tries to to get out of it and, and you know, go to the school. Mm-hmm. When, when she goes back into Sunnydale High and, you know, the lockers are open and things are just strewn all over the place, I, I'm glad they didn't do this because it just would have been ridiculous. But in my head, I'm thinking of Alice Cooper's School's Out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, she has her moment where she sees the picture on her desk yeah. of herself and Willow and Xander, and she starts to lose it there. But it still doesn't change the fact she couldn't be there for her friends. Mm-hmm. But by golly, she can be there for Caleb. Mm. Yeah, Caleb, uh, that also didn't really go the way that kind of scene usually goes on Buffy, where the big bad shows up and they have a little... Tete a tete back and forth. forth. Yeah. Um, Like as soon as she stands up for herself, he gets pissed and like flings that table across the, and it's not even like she has, she's faced people strong. Like, I mean, she faced glory, but 
She's so he's so in her head right now. And you're right. He is so just viscerally terrifying because of the reality of him that when he flings that desk aside, she like jumps. Mm-hmm. She flinches. She does. She she flinches. Yeah. And he has that fantastic line that sums him up of you're angry, frustrated, scared. I like that in a girl. I like that in a girl. Yeah. Gross, Caleb. But she's not acting like the slayer. Mm-hmm. She really isn't. And I mean, the the only other time I can even think that we came close to this is in that horrible episode where she turns 18. The Crucimentum or whatever. I don't yeah, remember the, the Crucimentum. What, what was the uh, name of the episode? Face, where she has to face Kralik. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember the name of the episode, but yeah. yeah you know, Buffy never has a good birthday. <laughs> no, so they skipped over it for this season. And Oh, they do. Yeah, wow. we don't even get a mention of her birthday this season. And, you know, even in that one, though, because I, I remember at some slayage or another, I got a button that, that said, um, if I were at my full strength, I'd be punning right now. <laughs> uh-huh. And, you know, she's not acting no. like that with Caleb. No. And kind of bugs me, to tell you the truth. Um, I also really started noticing color mm-hmm. in this episode. In Dirty Girls, there's a lot of neutral, you, black, white, that kind of brownish, light tan coat that she's wearing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we see that again in, in empty places. Caleb, of course, is wearing black and white. But even the girls are wearing, even the potentials and Giles are wearing these very muted colors. Yeah. Right up until we see Dawn in red. In the bright red shirt. In the bright red shirt. And this is about the time where um, Giles has seen Caleb's mark On on the wall of the mission. Yeah. And I find it interesting when they zoom in on that through the magnifying glass. Did you notice what his mark is? It look. first of all, we see his brand on a couple of girls and right. I cannot make heads or tails out of what it is. It just looks like, either. it just looks like a burn, but in that picture, it looked like a circle with a cross in it. Yeah. And the cross is kind of tilted. Yeah. Yeah. Which I like because, you know, he's Caleb's off the beam. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not straight. Um, but yeah, I couldn't make it out. I couldn't make it out when it was in flesh. Gross. (laughs) I need you to be clearer. Put it on the wall. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, this is also the episode where we get, okay. So Giles sends Spike and Andrew off on a road trip. Right. And we'll get back to that in a little bit. And Faith decides that what the girls need, of course, is a little R and R. Yeah. So we'll go to the bronze. the bronze. Last time we see the bronze. Yes. Is in this episode, and I had to look it up. Do you know who's playing? Do you know the band? Oh yeah, Nerf Herder. It's Nerf Herder. It's Nerf Herder, and Dawn gets <laughs> that line of, uh, "I think this band might be one of the signs of the apocalypse." <laughs> apocalypse. <laughs> but it had again. It had been a while since I've seen season seven, so. Um, I did not remember that that was a nerf herder. Right. And I really did get a kick out of that. Um, so, you know, the girls are having a good time, maybe too much of a good time. Faith gets this great moment where she gets to almost play, 
I don't know, like a trashy mother hen? I thought it was super sweet that she asked Amanda, wait, how old are you? And Amanda said 17. She's like, we're going to get you a nice seven Seven up. up. Yeah. Um, She also takes a long pull on the drink. I mean, yeah, she does not go. I will will point out she does not then go to the bar to get a seven up. She takes the drink and goes out on the dance floor. (laughs) Yeah. But But her heart's sort of in the right place. yeah, Yeah. And that's one of the cool things that they have going on here. We're seeing that faith really has changed. Yes. And we're also seeing that she's not demanding that anybody give her a gold star mm-hmm. for changing. Right. And she, she gets that she has to uh, win their trust. She has, she has that, to earn it. She has that one line with, and, and I'm, I'm not blaming her for this. I don't think it's out of character or whatever. I actually liked it when a little while later when Wood shows up. Uh, uh-huh. And... Uh, he notices the bruises and she's like, yeah, the cops mostly this one person who thinks she's a cop. Um, and he's like, well, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you fight back or what stopped you from killing her or whatever? And she's like, there's other stuff that's more important. And by the way, just cause nobody else has, I'm going to give myself props what? <laughs> for, <laughs> for, uh, since nobody else will point it out, I will. Yeah. I didn't kill her. Hello. Yeah. Good for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, she is still faith right? under it all. So you mentioned that scene um, with the cops. And I, I think yeah. I think we need to talk about that. Did not age Going well. all the way back to the beginning mm-hmm. of this episode, right after we, we have the sweet scene with Clem, um, we see that Willow and Giles are getting some information from the local cops. And these guys are just itching for a fight. Yeah, I know the episode lays that at the feet of the Hellmouth. Is right. Is uh, in fact, I think one of the potentials even says, "Boy, these cops are really getting Hellmouthed," or something like that. Um, and it is the idea that the Hellmouth is acting up. But I got to tell you, watching parts of this episode in 2020, oh yeah, takes on a whole different meaning it was super, for me. It was super uncomfortable. It was super okay. uncomfortable. You too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, my comment was this scene didn't age well, um, but really it's just that, like, because I think that scene was even meant to play that way at the time, but obviously it's a much different world now than it was in 2003. And yeah, I almost, I almost couldn't watch that scene. And I, I do, I think we're intended to, to see that scene, because again, this is in 2003. Mm-hmm. And I think we're intended to see that scene and think, wow, the cops are really behaving strangely and weird and out of character. Remember, we have an episode in uh, Angel where that happens, too. Right. Um, I, I don't think Whedon really has issues with cops mm. the same way he has issues with, say, religion. I think I think he has issues with authority. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think he has a particular axe to grind, you know, regarding law enforcement. Right. It's just authority in general. Right. But it's it's an uncomfortable scene. I mean, they're beating the crap out of her, mm-hmm. and she's not killing them. Right. And, and she has plenty she of op- she has plenty of opportunities. Yeah. She's defending herself. She's not just curled up in a ball. Right. But. And again, it's this whole thing about violence against women. Mm-hmm. 
you know, Caleb wants to dish it out. The, the, in that scene, all the cops are shown to be male. They want to dish it out, you know, and, and again, in Angel, we have, um, Billy, Billy. I was like, Bobby, no, that's not right. We have the episode Billy, which is him exploring some of that again. And it's really uncomfortable. Yeah. That's also a gross episode. (laughs) Billy is horrible. Yeah. I mean, the, the episode, not, not horrible as in bad. Right. But, um, horrible as in you need to take a shower afterwards. Yeah. But it's also one of the moments where, um, Wesley takes this huge jump. Yeah. In character development. Yeah. But it, it is, it's, it's gross and icky. And in, in the Whedon verse, that's how the characters tend to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, the lessons don't come with the possible exception of Kaylee and Firefly. The lessons don't come gently with flowers and puppies. Right. Now I'm trying to remember Kaylee's arc. (laughs) Well, I'm just thinking about, you know, Kaylee knows everything plus about engines. uh, And we have the scene in the engine room. I I was going to say with, um, I can't remember his name. I don't know. First uh, mechanic who's a doofus. Oh no, I'm not even thinking of that one. Oh. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm thinking I was going to a super dark place with um I cannot remember oh, his name. Um Richard Brooks, but shoot. Shame on me. Yeah, shame on both of us. I can't remember it. Anyways, yeah, the guy that's like Oh, some, Jubal Early. Jubal Early, thank you. Named that after whole the scene. Confederate general. Right. That whole scene between him and yeah, Kaylee. Well, and, and again, what makes that scene so icky is that she's being attacked in her home. Right. Yeah. Because for her, the engine room yeah. really is home. And that's what makes it so terrible. But yeah, violence against women is, um, and let's not even get into seeing red. <laughs> yes, please. Let's not. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's just la 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 la. Let's just I've, move on past that. I've survived past that. We can. <laughs> and I, I do. I think Whedon had, I think he uses violence against women to make points. Mm-hmm. But there is also a lot of truth in the uh, criticism that has been lobbed at him for really, really, really liking damaged women. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of truth in that, too. Yeah, which yeah. I don't know the full, I don't know all the dialogue that's going on around that, um, but because I didn't, we didn't have a slayage this year, but um, right, uh, like my first reaction would be to say that, um, you know, every storyteller has their not crutch or whatever, like every storyteller has their box of tricks that they draw from, oh, and, yeah. if, and if that's one of his, I mean. I guess that's one and, thing. And really, one of his motifs really is tiny, physically little women mm-hmm. who have tremendous power but are also deeply damaged. Summer Glau. Perfect. Uh, who is a freaking muse. Yes. When it comes to that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we are. We're seeing Faith just being pounded. Mm-hmm. And the, the other girls unable to get to her because the door has been blocked. Mm-hmm. 
Although they, uh, I, I did like... Although they do overcome that. Yeah, I did like that they dealt with that. And I love the fact that Dawn was the one that... I, I wish... Yeah. So I love the fact that Dawn was the one that went up to him and said, don't listen to him, guys, or whatever. Like, she was, she was taking point on that. I wish we hadn't gotten <laughs> the scene of after they take the gun away from him and they all start, like, beating up on this guy. That was very cool. But then Dawn, like, jumps on his back and starts pulling his hair or whatever. It was very... I just, I just wish Dawn hadn't been infantilized one last time. I agree. But having... I, I agree. I, I like that they're fighting back. Yeah. But then we do. It, it, it's like, well, but we don't really mean it. Right. I, she could have thrown with, with a punch. little bit. She and... should have been able to throw a punch or a kick as well as any of the potentials had. But Absolutely. Whatever. A minor nitpick, I suppose. So, but, but then, of course... We, we get the, the that great bit with Wood and Faith. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, he's he's there and is trying to read people. And she and immediately turns she it around She gives on him. back as good as she got. I love you, Faith. I do. I really do. Um, and, of course, in the middle of all this, we have the Andrew Spike road trip. <laughs> okay, yeah, we can't. Let's talk about the road trip. It's not because a road trip. It's a covert mission. It's a covert mission. Um, and there is a, because we were just talking about them making Dawn seem especially childish. Mm -hmm. And on the, on the covert mission, Andrew's wearing the football helmet that Dawn wore. That Dawn wore. Right. Yeah. When she and Spike were on the motorcycle, which is just a lovely little bit to me. Tell anyone we had this conversation. I bite you. (laughs) So we get to the monastery in Gilroy, which I had forgotten, we see in Pangs. Oh, for real? Yep. Like it's meant to be the same monastery? When they go to seek Father Gabriel in Pangs, they go to the mission in Gilroy. Oh, wow. Now, theoretically, could it be a different mission in Gilroy? I guess. But How many missionaries does a town like Gilroy need? Worship of the garlic? I, I don't know. I don't know. That could be widespread. Who knows? I know not. But yeah, it's it's the same it's the same place, which I I love those little deep cuts. Yeah. And I think that is one. So Whedon not liking church and organized religion and yet using it so beautifully, because you of course have one priest who's alive. One guy. One guy. Who conveniently is the guy who got marked and, you know, ran away and all the rest of it. Um, it I always find it fascinating that to Whedon, churches are not places of comfort and sanctuary. Of safety, yeah. But libraries are. Yes. Except for this and, new Sunny Day of High. Not a book to be seen. I, you know, it all happens when you take out the book cage. Yes. Man, bring back the book cage. Bring back the book cage. So, you know, um, we find this room that the priest is like, I never knew this was here. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Libraries, people. Libraries. <laughs> and you have this uh, inscription chiseled in Latin, which Spike, of course, can read. Of course. And yet, apparently, the priest can't. Really? Did, did I? 
Really? I thought I read somewhere that that inscription is, it's written in Latin, but the words are Greek or something like that. Do you, does this sound familiar? Sounds good. Like we they need used, an explanation like and that's used, a good one. They used the Latin alphabet, but the language was Greek or something. Well, but know. to, but also to be fair, this guy has been burned by a murderous priest and seen every all everyone else slaughtered. Yeah. Or at least heard it. I'm giving him a pass on on his weakness in a foreign tongue at this point. <laughs> right, sure. Um and and it is like all prophecy written kind of vaguely of and it's uh da, 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 what is it? It's not it is not for thee. It is for her alone to wield. Mm-hmm. And apparently that just drove Caleb into a murderous fr- frenzy, which is different from his usual, you know, Tuesday. His, yeah, his charming personality. I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's a sparkling conversationalist. So obviously that's a reference to the scythe. Right. Which I just realized. Oh, that's right. We can be completely spoiler. Yeah, we're, we're spoiling everything. Okay. Yeah, I it's ju- about the side. I just realized I should probably before. So the remind me, does the scythe show up in the next two episodes? We get it before the finale, right? Yeah, we do. Okay. So I will probably reread Frey before. I love Frey. Before the next I... episode. And it really is one of the things that has always bugged me. I don't think Frey gets nearly enough attention. It's hardly ever I mentioned. I really don't. It's hardly I ever really mentioned. don't. Yeah. Um, Faith and Choice actually has, at least at the time, it was the only thing that had been written and published about Frey. Good for now, you. Now, that is no longer true. Uh, part two, Family, A Place at the mm-hmm. Table. Chapter three, Coming apart, but moving forward, magic twins and older sisters in Frey. And I'm still rather proud of that chapter. Um, mm-hmm. But honestly, for some reason, and I thought especially when other comics started being published in mm-hmm. the Whedonverse, mm-hmm. that there would be a more of a deep dive into Frey, but there really hadn't been. Mm-hmm. I... Uh... It, you know, it's not that nothing's been written about it, but not much. I know that in the in the official, which I mean, I guess Frey is official, but in the official continuation comics, the season mm-hmm. eight and forward, I know mm-hmm. that Frey did eventually show up. They did have yeah. Frey come into the comics. I don't know how that storyline played out, but I know, I know that she did come back at some point or, or Buffy went there. I don't know. Yeah. But it's, it's just interesting there yeah. because there's a lot of good stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, anyway, I like Frey. Yes. A lot. So that's where the scythe originally comes from, is why I brought that up um, mm-hmm. and why I should reread it to remind myself what the scythe was. But um, Aside from a really cool weapon. Aside from a really cool looking weapon, yeah. Um, it really is just like perfectly balanced. <laughs> perfectly balanced. So, okay, we, we get the inscription and then let's keep in mind uh, Andrew and Spike are up in Gilroy. Meanwhile, back in Sunnydale, Buffy is losing her mind. Right. So, is this the is this the the big scene that we're talking about now? Yep, this is it. Okay. Um. So this 
this is why I referred to this episode as one of the controversial episodes. Maybe it's not anymore. Maybe people have had enough time to time and space to talk about it and there have yeah, been enough papers think, written about leading it. Up, I think leading up to this scene, it's not controversial at all. Right. Maybe, well, again, maybe the, the behavior of the cops beating the crap out of, out of faith, but, right. but this scene just, I think takes empty places and makes it onto, you know, the list of the 10 most controversial episodes. So how do you feel about it? How did you feel about it originally? Were you one of the people that was like, pulling your hair out as you were watching that scene? And how do you feel about it now? I was pulling my hair out originally, and I was pulling my hair out on the rewatch, but for two totally different reasons. Oh, okay. All right. The first time, back in 03, when I originally saw it, I pulled my hair out because I was like, how can they do this to Buffy? Uh-huh. I really did. And this time, I was less sympathetic to Buffy. Okay. Wow. I I wasn't without sympathy. Yeah. Cuz but I think this time because I've seen it all the way through. Uh-huh. And of course when I first saw it I'm seeing it during the run. So I don't know how it's going to turn out. And it is this idea and again I was so glad you gave me these two episodes to talk about because what I picked up on in Dirty Girls when Shannon first gets picked up by Caleb, she says that she's going to Sunnydale. He says, so am I. Mm-hmm. Can I drop you off at the police station or any, or anything like that? And she says, I just have to get to Ravello Drive. Right. And at the end of Empty Places, we see Buffy walking away from Ravello Drive. Oh, yeah. Good point. And I hadn't put that together before. Because mm-hmm. the first time you watch it, you're just trying to get the story. Right. I think, and you pick up the the finer details um, on repeated viewings, but I'm not as sympathetic toward her. That is, she's made some terrible decisions. That that is fascinating. I'm fascinating by the turn that this conversation has taken because, um, I don't think I was ever because I I used to be even less of a Buffy fan than I am now, <laughs> Buffy Ooh. Summers fan than I am now. Uh, so on my first watch, I was probably like not feeling any sympathy at all to Buffy. I was like, yes, General Buffy, you've been annoying the hell out of all of us. Please get out. <laughs> and then I'm also just contrarian. So the fact that the entire fandom seemed to be like, how dare they do that to Buffy? Um, I was like, you on. a contrarian. I know. I know. It's hard to believe. You know me so well. I no, hi- I hide no, it. it can't be. <laughs> I hide it. Well, um, anyways. But I'm fascinated by this because I still feel like they're justified in what they're doing, but my feelings on it are way more complicated than they were before. I actually feel like I have much more sympathy for her now than I ever did before. And I also look at things like, for some reason, Giles in particular. I mean, obviously, Wood, his motivations are colored. He's barely even hiding Uh the fact that this is some kind of payback or whatever uh-huh. but for some reason i really zeroed in on giles where he may play the grown-up in the room but i feel like there's a little bit of a of a butt hurt young boy <laughs> oh yeah um it was i don't know if it was in this episode or if it was back in, i think it was actually back in dirty girls where 
Buffy cuts Giles to the core when she says, what you need to do is help the girls who still need a teacher. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things Buffy is is really good about is being in control of her language. Right. And when when Buffy isn't quippy and eloquent and something really important is going on with her, she knew exactly what she was saying. Yeah. And, yeah, that hurt. I mean, this is Giles. Yeah. It's just so weird. I wish my cat would stop dying in the other room. <laughs> Damn it, Ember. <laughs> Trying to be professional here. Um, well, if it makes you feel any better, Chance had gotten into the garbage can uh-huh. that still had, edit this part out, I swear, <laughs> or I will cut you. Okay. Um. Anyway, so it's funny. I think we probably started from opposite ends, yeah. but are closer to meeting now. Yeah than maybe we had been in the past. I, I am definitely still annoyed by Buffy and the general Buffy stuff still gets under my skin. But in this particular one, like, like it's really in the moments when she's saying, I don't get it, guys. This is how I've kept us safe for seven years by doing exactly this. And it's, I'm, it's so, I've, I'm an alien. I've been possessed by an alien here because I'm like, she's not wrong. She, I mean, she's right. She is, I feel like she's lo- a little lost and she's floundering, but she certainly believes that what she's doing is what she's always done and what she's kind of been told to do. But it's not working. But, right, right. It's not working. As, uh, you know, as Xander points out, I can't see your point. <laughs> it must be just a little bit to the left. I think it might be a little bit to my left. <laughs> That's cold. That was cold. Which, which is cold, but... Man's got a point. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I got to tell you, the one that actually ticks me off the most is everybody seems to be kind of dogpiling on Buffy mm-hmm. is Anya. Interesting. Because it, it's that whole long speech about you're not better than us. You're just luckier. Uh-huh. Buffy's died twice. Right. How lucky is that? Um. Yeah, I, I'm also a little bit uncomfortable with her speech, um, but I try and, I mean, I've been saying that season seven feels uh, scattered and, and, you know, directionless a little bit. And one of the things that I feel like should have been a bigger deal than it turned out to be or the the fallout from it should have lasted longer and maybe this is further fallout was the whole Buffy's absolutely at the drop of a hat ready to kill Anya. Anya's going back to killing frat boys. Mm-hmm. We have to go we have to go kill Anya. We have to kill her. Um that was super <laughs> that was just super like There's there's a lot of season 7 that just feels like a first draft. Right. To me. Right. It's not that it's bad. Uh-huh. It feels, um, I like your term, scattered. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel but, like... But her... there, there are also some parts in it I really, really like. No, absolutely. I, I, I have enjoyed season seven way more than I remembered enjoying it. But um, I, I almost look at Anya's speech here as, at least 
from her perspective, it feels like her being able to voice her frustrations from that whole thing that went down and then just kind of went away. Like Buffy. Well, that's true. That, that, okay, that's a point I'm going to have to think on a little bit. I think Buffy did actually go and apologize to Anya. I think I remember that happening, but if she did, it was a, it was a really brief scene. Like, I just feel like Anya probably feels like that was a pretty big issue. I, I think one of the other things about this scene that bothered me. (sighs) I know a lot of people were pissed off that Don got the final word. I'm not. I, I actually am not. But what bothers me is they are kicking her out of her own house. Yeah. Yeah. That's. I mean, and she's been working to hold that space right. together. Right. That really bothered me. I think, I think physically, if that scene had happened just about anywhere else, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have as big a problem with it. Or if, as probably should have happened, if they had said, we'll all be at Xander's. Because Xander's, right. Xander's got that big place. I mean, it's not big enough for all those girls, but neither is the Summer's house. Right. Um, so, and I was actually thinking that if it had happened at Xander's house, one, Anya speaking up the way she does would make a little more sense because she's in her place. Right. But they are. They're, they're kicking her out of her own house. It is kind of hard to square that, yeah. And, it, I, I mean, I get that plot-wise it wouldn't have made much sense for her to turn around to the crowd and to say, well, all right, y'all can get everything and get the hell out. Right. But I would have liked to have seen that. <laughs> so you are still upset about the fact that she's kicked out of her own house? I'm, I'm upset about... Yeah, I'm upset about that. I'm... I'm less upset about the fact that they choose a different general. Right. I get, but I get what Buffy's saying. You don't choose your generals. <laughs> right. And she, also, it it kills me to say this, but to be fair to Buffy, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, try to do it. She, I'm I'm trying. I'm gritting my teeth. I'll get through this. Uh, she intellectually, she knows that that faith has turned a corner and mm-hmm. is, is on the side of the angels now, no pun intended. Ah. Uh, but she has not had that experience of hanging out with faith and knowing that she's a better person. So, right. uh, and one of the themes of this season is going back to the beginning. So at least hinting at a rehashing of the rivalry between her and faith makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, but like, you know, when when her when she's like, oh no, you guys don't get to take a vote until I've had a turn to also right. be the fun general. Till I get to, I get to take you guys out for drinks or whatever. Like that was a fair point, but I like how Faith immediately diffused it by saying, "Learn their names." Learn their names. I should have a chance to what what was it? Um, braid their hair. Right. Yeah. Which is, you know, the classic sleepover stuff. Yeah. But yeah, Faith, and, and she does it very quietly. She doesn't mm-hmm. do it confrontationally. But, you know, Buffy doesn't know who these girls are. Right. Literally. Which, now, part, that's because they're like 40 people in the Summer's house. <laughs> right. Um, I also think it was 
I think that's intentional on her part in some sense. I'm not, I'm not defending this, but I think she's whether consciously or unconsciously made the decision that she's not, she doesn't want to get super close to these girls because her plan is to be general Buffy. And she knows that people are going to die. Right. Um, and, and she feels like that it would be easier if she didn't know everybody's name. I get it. But but no. we're also seeing how poorly she's dealing with Xander being injured and she's been exactly. best friends with Xander forever. So, yeah. So there's a, again, Buffy's not operating at, at top, not physical strength, but it, she's not doing her best thinking. Right. Right now. She's really not. And she's pushing away the people who normally have been there to give her counsel. Yeah. And that, that's, as we know, we've, we've seen the whole thing, of course, but that's going to have some repercussions that are only going to last about two episodes, but they're going to be repercussions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that's another thing about season seven. There are places where it just feels really rushed. It is. It's really rushed. There's a lot of stuff they tried to get into one season, but mm-hmm. um, I, I will also give Buffy props for being even though i agree with you i can't really square the whole getting kicked out of her own house right um even by dawn who says it's my house too i mean yeah technic- pretty sure technically, dawn's not paying the mortgage technically but yeah you're still a minor and you're not paying the bills yeah um but i give her props for how maturely she handles faith first of all i love that faith uh is like when they first say, what about faith? Maybe she could lead us. And she's like, what? Wait, hold on. No, absolutely not. That is not what I was saying. I'm not cut out for that. But uh, when she comes out onto the porch and she's like, this is not what I meant to happen. And Buffy's like, I mean, she's crying. It's very emotional, but she realizes what's going on. And she's like, you have to lead them now, whether you wanted this or not, you're in charge now. So, and I don't actually don't remember how well that goes. I don't I don't remember in the next two episodes if we see Faith really botch the job. She's just different. Yeah. Of course, because, you know, Faith has always been about being a lone wolf. Right. And Buffy has always been about trying to find family and community. Mm -hmm. And now we suddenly have things kind of flipped. So, yeah, I mean, there's some interesting things coming up and. I'll be talking about those with you, right? You will, because Uh now that I've caught you in my podcasting net, I'm not going to let you go. I'm snared, I tell you. You're snared. So, yeah, we can, um, I I think we've said what we can about these two episodes, yes? Okay. Yeah, I do too. Okay. So. good about them? um, Yeah. The the big surprise, spoiler alert, um, Dale will be back next week. Hooray! Thank you. To discuss the next two episodes um which are what are they 720 touched and 721 end End of of days days. yes there we go yeah um so yeah uh and you gave me a hard time about this off mic when we first when we first jumped on but um i'm gonna turn it back on you and say you are not on gobbly geek nearly enough dale oh so untrue (laughs) It's so untrue. It's not untrue. We need you on Gobbledygeek more. Now, whose fault that is, we could debate. But 
I would say it's because you haven't watched Babylon 5. Well, shit. That is definitely a hurdle. That is definitely something that's obviously coming between us that I will rectify. It's worth your time. It really I'm, is. I'm sure it is. I, I mean, even if the show wasn't, which I'm sure it will be, but even if the show isn't, I want to watch the show so I can read your guys' book. Well, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Dream Given Form. There you go. Which is a, a phrase that gets used repeatedly on Babylon 5. I will say this. You need, obviously, to start at season one. Mm -hmm. By the time you get to season four of the five-season run, mm -hmm. I worry that season in 2020 will make you just curl up in a ball and probably weep. Season four? Yeah. Okay. All right. But I got to get through it to get to season five. I, no, no, no. Not that it's bad. Okay. But season four is actually exquisite. But paired up with the hell mouth that is 2020, yeah. the events in season four will make you go, why is pop culture so relevant? <laughs> no! All right. Well, I've got that to look forward to then. Indeed. Um, Dale, thank you so much for finally... Oh, Finally thank you, thank out. you, thank you. I, this has been nothing short of a delight, and I will see you in a week, right? Yes, absolutely. I, I love talking to you. Pam, by the way, says a vigorous hello. I miss seeing you guys. Yeah, yeah. Damn, I really do. Damn pandemic. Yeah. If I could get her on FaceTime or Skype or whatever, she she's harder to get on the mic than you are. Ha. But, uh, yeah, we need to find a way to... Hang out at least virtually. I I really do though, um, and I've done a few virtual hangouts with friends here and there, and it's not the same, but it's better than nothing. Right. Yeah. It's really really better than nothing, and I think I'm not kidding. This year is going to have some far-reaching ripples. Oh, I've I can't remember if I've said it on this podcast, but on Gobbledygeek, I'm very open about the fact that I fully believe there's a revolution coming no matter which way November goes. Yeah. Um, and I've, and again, leave this in or not as you see fit, but work-wise, this has been one of the hardest years ever. Mm, yeah. I mean, turning on a dime to go online was, was crazy. But then it feels like we kind of wasted the summer mm -hmm. and then got into this situation in the fall and everybody's just, I don't know, I don't know, crossing our fingers, which I've, I've actually quoted from Firefly to a few very close friends, so you really might not want to use this part. <laughs> Okay. But it's Jane. It's Jane Cobb. Uh -huh. It seems like so many places, states, cities, school systems, workplaces, whatever, have taken the Jane Cobb approach of smelling a lot of if coming off this plan. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, when, when the act of wearing a mask is a political act... I mean, Paul, we're living in crazy times. Uh, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not, not getting any better. It's getting weirder. It's, it's, 
And not in the fun way. Right. Kind of the Lovecraftian way. Right. Right. Hey, are you watching Lovecraft Country? I was just about to ask you, we don't do the HBO thing. Uh Uh-huh. I read the book and thought it was freaking brilliant. Okay. I have not read the book. Um, And I apparently can watch the first episode on maybe Prime for free. I think the first one is available for free, yeah. But is it as good as I think it should be? It is. I personally think the first one is the weakest episode. The first one, the first episode has some great stuff in it. Um, But every episode after that has just gotten better. Like it is, it's really great. It is also difficult to watch in today's climate because it is about, I mean, you've read the book, so you know what it's about. It's so I got to tell you, I made it through the first episode of the new Watchmen. Uh huh. Oh, I loved it. God, that is a, Oh, brilliant show. Loved it. Have not seen the rest of it. Hmm. I mean, it's... And I need to. You do. It's fucking And I amazing. need to. Because just based on the first one. And also, does Don Johnson just get better as he gets older? <laughs> For real. <laughs> What's with that? I don't know. I don't know. But he was. He was in the reimagining of, um, of what they're doing with that. I don't want, I don't even want to call it a reboot. It's not, it's not, it's, it actually, I mean, it ties, if you continue watching it, which you absolutely should, uh, it ties more and more directly into the, into the source material okay. to the point where yeah. it is actually a legitimate official continuation of huh. the story. It's not a reboot. It's not a, what if it's, well, wait a minute. Does Alan Moore hate it? Because if he doesn't, it can't possibly I, be he, legit. I don't know if he hates it, but he doesn't talk about it he didn't watch it he doesn't want anything to do with it so you know it's good <laughs> so well that's the thing you actually can be a professional douche <laughs> you can i kind of love and hate alan moore i i have the same relationship yeah. I, I really do yeah um every now and again i think i i think his curmudgeonliness is that a word is sure. an act but I'm not sure. Yeah, I can't tell. But I'm not sure. I mean, I'm doing my best to, to grow the, the curmudgeonly Alan Moore beard. Yeah, and, and a fine job you're doing thank, of it, too. Thank you. And I am something of a curmudgeon, but I will never compete. No. I, I, no. Well, Alan Moore also just has, you know, several centuries of Englishness behind him to true. do that. That's true. So, and, and all of that weird magic under his belt. Oh, I know. I know. At, at any rate, this has been a complete delight. Yes. Yes. Thank you very much. Uh, Go rescue your cat. Do you want, I think I have to rescue my wife from my cat. I think that's the, ah! that's the drama I'm about to walk into. But do you want to let the listeners know how they can stalk you online? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And seriously, chop part of our previous few minutes out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Please. Okay. Um. Yes. Uh, discerning listeners of conversations with dead people can in fact stalk me online. I am available on, um, I, I publish under the name of Dale Kuntz mm-hmm. as, as you know, from the cover of the book. And, um, I can be found on all the usual social media haunts using that name of K Dale Kuntz. I'm easy to find. 
And there are other books that I have written on other aspects of popular culture, including Breaking Bad and Babylon 5 and Buffy. It seems like I have this obsession with the letter B. It does. It's like Sesame Street. (laughs) Today's guest was brought to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will will include in the show notes, as if anybody ever actually reads the show notes of any of the podcasts I do, I will include links to Faith and Choice in the Works of Joss Whedon, uh, your, what's the name of the Babylon 5? Dream Given Form. Dream Given Form. And the Breaking Breaking Bad book. Which is the Breaking Bad book. Yes. So... Um, again, thank you for joining me and I will see you in just one short week to review the next two episodes. And, uh, thank you all at home for listening. You can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com. You can subscribe to the show on Apple podcasts. And while you're there, please rate us or write us a review that helps us find new listeners. Uh, if you have questions for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to join the conversation, drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Cons with Dead or reach out to us on Facebook at Conversations with Dead People. And again, just one short week from now, seven short days, and I'll have you back in the hot seat to talk Count about them. to talk about 720 touched and 721 end of days. So till then, Gur Arg, everybody. Gur Arg. Reach a man, go tell me. Where is body life? Sit it down by the living altar Left him there to die One by one we tumble One by one we fall If I had a solution now, honey fix us all Cause I believe in a world where we all belong And I'm so tired of seeing every good man gone